This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happymon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. For the past two months, Russia and the West have been deadlocked over Ukraine. Russia has amassed more than 100,000 troops along its border with Ukraine. The US has warned that invasion is imminent and NATO has placed its forces on high alert. NATO members are sending thousands of troops, warplanes and ships to allies in Eastern Europe. The US and its NATO allies have at least so far rejected Russia's principal demand to guarantee that Ukraine never joins NATO. Although both sides have left some room for diplomacy, it is clear that much more than the fate of Ukraine is at stake. In the aftermath of its withdrawal from Afghanistan, there has been growing concern about the sustainability of US alliances and security commitments in Europe. As the US pivots to the Indo-Pacific to counter the much more significant threat from China, balance of power politics appears have returned to Europe. An international realignment of powers is happening as we speak. Russia and China are increasingly coordinating their moves. India faces a series of crucial geostrategic challenges here. So far, it has managed to balance its closer alignment with the United States in the Indo-Pacific while maintaining close security and defense ties with Russia. Increasingly, however, as geopolitical battle lines are redrawn, India's ability to keep U.S.-Russia tensions from straining its relations with, with the United States will start diminishing. To understand the crisis in Ukraine, its implications for the geopolitics in Eurasia and Indo-Pacific, and why it matters to India, I have with me Ambassador P.S. Rakhavan. Ambassador Raghavan was India's ambassador to uh, Russia between 2014 and 16. From 2016 to 2020, he was the chairman of the National Security Advisory Board of the Government of India. He's currently a distinguished fellow at the Vivekananda International Foundation, New Delhi. So welcome to the National Security Conversation, Ambassador Raghavan. Thank you very much. Very nice to be with you. You know, as we speak, more than 100,000 Russian troops are deployed along Russia's border with Ukraine. And the U.S. President uh, Joe Biden has ordered the deployment of several thousand U.S. military personnel to reinforce uh, NATO allies in Eastern Europe. What, in your opinion, is Russia's endgame in Ukraine? Russia-Ukraine tensions have been simmering for the past eight years or so since Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014 and annexed Crimea. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I think we need to step back and see the significance of what is going on now. Uh, in my view, actually, I'll, I'll explain that a bit later, but in my view, much of this is manufactured drama. It is manufactured drama, which in a way has been uh, also led away by uh, various elements. I'll explain what I mean by that. You know, Ukraine, of course, as you, you're absolutely right, Ukraine has been simmering since 2014, since the annexation of Crimea, or uh, they would like to call it the accession of Crimea. Anyway, you would call it whichever way you like. 
the uh, and then there was this uh, uh, separatist movement this rebel movement in eastern ukraine which obviously russia supported uh, which is what has led to a, a sort of uh, a whole area in eastern ukraine which is controlled by the separatists the rebels uh, and who are obviously supported by russia and that that basically is the scene that has been going on since 2014-15. But let's look at the genesis of the current standoff. You know, actually the current standoff started, uh, I would say, in mid to 2021 with President Biden actually reaching out to Russia. It's often forgotten that, you know, you should look at this from that uh, time onward against the run of play, as it were. President, you know, at that time, there was all this controversy about the Russian uh, interference in uh, American elections, you know, the solar winds, this uh, uh, episode, which was basically a cyber espionage. And then there was this ransomware, a number of Russian, uh, I mean, they, they were obviously based in Russia, a number of these uh, networks which were uh, hacking into commercial establishment in the US. So, you know, all of this was building to a head when suddenly, as I said, against the run of play, President Biden said, I'm going to talk to Putin. And, and, and in fact, he imposed sanctions for this so-called election uh, interference and the solar winds and so on. And then telephoned Putin and said that, look, I'm imposing sanctions, but please don't respond in a disproportionate manner. Respond proportionately. And uh, by the way, all of this is public. It, it is, President Biden is the best articulator of American actions and policies these days. All of this he said in press uh, conferences publicly. It is there on the uh, uh, White House website. Anyway, then he said that I'm going to talk to Putin because I want a predictable and stable relationship with the uh, with Russia because we want to be able to uh, resolve global issues. And the subtext was very clear that, again, Biden has made very clear in various of his uh, press conferences, he wants to be able to focus on domestic challenges, which are many. You know, there is COVID, there is the infrastructure, and there is obviously the issues relating to the, uh, shall we say, recalibration of American democracy, for want of a better expression. But all of that he wanted to focus on. And his principal external challenge, he identified very clearly as China. And therefore, right. essentially, the idea was to see whether you can sort of extricate yourself from what they considered as unnecessary encumbrances uh, whether it is in Europe or whether it is in West Asia elsewhere, to be able to focus on, on what they thought they needed to focus on. Now, all of this is very clear from American uh, uh, statements themselves. And then he went and talked to Putin. They went, I mean, Putin went to Geneva, he went to Geneva as well, and they had the conversation. And again, the, the outcome, the best way to see this outcome is from President Putin's, sorry, President Biden's press conference in Geneva in June. Very explicit. Basically saying that, look, I, we can do business with Russia. Russia is also interested in its national interest. Putin is a rational human being. Basically, he gave a certificate to Putin as a ras rational human being, unlike what is uh, his demonization in America as, a, as basically a record of the world order. Anyway, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so and then they started two things, by the way. Strategic stability uh, dialogue, which started then, and strategic stability is basically part of what is being talked about today. How do you adjust your force posture so that you do not threaten each other? Folded into that is arms control as well. You know, the Americans got out of the ABM in, uh, during uh, uh, Reagan's time, in fact. And then uh, now the uh, Trump uh, got out of the INF. 
the, so that has left actually uh, uh, what you might call a disequilibrium in, in Europe in terms of uh, arms development. Strategic stability dialogue was meant to uh, address that. The other very significant dialogue that they started then was to address the cyber uh, attacks. And you might note one thing, that that, those, that conversation, the Americans and the Russians both said was going very well. And you have not heard since then of any ransomware attacks on, uh, on, on major American installations. The Americans... Okay. Yeah. Right. Ambassador Ragon, I get, I, get, I get the big picture, the very important big picture that you're drawing for us. But a quick question before you, before you go ahead for our viewers. You said this is manufactured drama. Yeah. Uh, why is it manufactured? What is the drama here? And who manufactured it? Just to be okay. clear. Good, good question. Uh, I'll do a bit of fast forward since then. You see, sure. after that, there have been dialogue at various levels between the US and Russia. Uh, uh, the uh, Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland went to uh, Moscow uh, and Assistant Secretary Don Fried went to Moscow. CIA chief went to Moscow. Right. Uh, Burns. And that it's not usual right. for the CIA chief to spend two days there. And he had, besides meeting with his counterpart, he met with the NSA as well as with Putin. He had a conversation with Putin, so a telephone conversation, which is not given to most visitors below the rank of... And this happened when, when we come to the manufacturing... This happened in early November. Already the troop build-up scenarios had been talked about in the Western press, the, the American press mainly actually at that time. Uh, at that time, when uh, Burns was in Moscow, the, um, uh, the Russians issued a public denial the foreign office saying that we had, we had not no unusual troop build-up. Please also note at that time, uh, Burns was in touch with the Ukrainian uh, prime minister and others. The Ukrainian Defense Ministry issued a statement quoting its chief of general staff saying that there is no unusual buildup of Russian troops on our Ukrainian border. On record All as well. Right. right? Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So this was early November. Right. Soon thereafter, this whole business of uh, uh, troops started getting greater coverage uh, in the American press. By the way, you should, we should make a distinction between the American press and the West, remaining Western press. You right. see, what BBC is saying and what CNN are saying are not necessarily... I mean, they're telling the same story, but they're telling it in different ways. <laughs> Even about Russian troop buildup. So, what I think happened, I mean, thereafter, the troop buildup story sort of picked up. And uh, we started hearing much more from US, from NATO, etc. about this troop buildup. Putin will attack. And then they invested everything in the single person, persona of Putin. So, everything that happens today, Putin will decide. So you right. have, these, you have right. these conversations. It is finally they say the conversations are with the various levels, but you know they don't know anything. It's eventually put. So what I'm saying is that this this build up, uh, why I call it manufactured drama. This build up is given so much uh, uh, publicity. I I think it also happened a little bit uh, as a tactical response to developments. I mean this is of course my suspicion that as the troop buildup started getting built up in the media, Putin probably saw for himself a tactical opportunity of letting this thing uh, build up further uh, and therefore moving more troops and pretending that there are troops there. But please note that the Russians constantly are saying that we have no, no uh, uh, intention of invading at all levels. You know, Foreign Minister Lavrov says it repeatedly. So do various people. They say we have no 
and then some Russian analysts now start saying that why are they doing this? They're doing this to get attention from the West because otherwise they're not getting attention from the West. They want to highlight the uh, deep Russian grievance about the security uh, disequilibrium that has developed in Europe. And of course, Russian grievances from the time of expansion of NATO. There's a litany of grievances Russia has over a period right. of time. So, so Right. So, are you are you are you saying that this is this is manufactured drama from President Biden's side in order to sort of deflect um, attention on the mismanagement of domestic issues in the United States? Is that what you're saying? No. Uh, you see, I I would not say uh, from President Biden's side or anyone. I, I think see there are in this whole Russia U.S. dialogue there are a huge number of stakeholders a huge number of. Uh, elements who are interested in this, who are supporting it and opposing it. And if you see even the, the whole process of Biden's reach out to Putin, within the US itself, there are a number of discordant uh, notes. If the US is not united. US, you know, US administration, I often say, is a so-called a multipolar system in itself. It is the interaction mm -hmm. of a number of uh, mm -hmm. uh, PowerPoints, number of interest mm -hmm. groups. So you have Congress, you have uh, and even within the administration, I'm not sure. They only they, no, within the administration, you look at it. You look at Congress, you look at uh, FBI, you look at Pentagon, you look at state, NSC, the White House itself. So there's also an interest. There are a number of people, and you can see from the American discourse as well, that there was uh, skepticism about the wisdom of... And then you have Europe. You know, there, is, there are very widely varying uh, views in Europe. This is, after all, about a European security architecture. And there is very wide divergence of views within Europe on how it goes forward. So, so you know, how this built up, why, why I'm saying it is manufactured is the fact that, look, it is in nobody's interest to have a war. It is as, right. much, as much not in Russian interest as not in European interest and not in American interest to have a war. Also, if you see the way in which the troops are deployed, again, if you separate yourself from the American press and look at other media and uh, military analysts as well, you can see that the troop deployment is not in such a way as to actually facilitate war. You know, the way, the number of troops that are deployed, the, 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 uh, the uh, distribution of war fighting elements uh, in this area, the uh, I... supply lines, the call up of reservists which has not taken place, you know, so there are there are a number of indications which I get I get I get you I get your point about the the large number of factors at play here, and it would be simplistic to try and simplify that into you know X Y Z things. I understand that part, but just to go back, I mean there are I mean it's it's pretty much clear that there are troops. Um, you know, there, there's a troop buildup happening on the Ukrainian border. There's no denying of that fact. So Russia. Absolutely. Uh, um, uh, President Putin does have a game plan here. In Europe, and you are India's ambassador to uh, Russia. What, in your opinion, is Putin trying to do vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine, if at all anything? Uh, I don't think Putin is trying to do anything vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine, uh, as such, in terms of military, in terms of military action. You know, Ukraine. There is a there is an ongoing process, or rather a process which should have been ongoing, which is what Russia has, uh, Russia's grievances, it is not going uh, forward in any way. There is something called the Minsk Accord, the Minsk process. 
again, this is something that happened in 2015. Uh, in order to stop this movement of the rebels, the Europe stepped in and France and Germany brokered an accord, which is called the Minsk Accord, which essentially amounts to, uh, of course, disengagement, ceasefire, moving back uh, troops and heavy weaponry across uh, from the contact line. And then the process, according to the Minsk Accord, which has been, by the way, which was uh, uh, approved by the UN Security Council, it has been approved by the UN Security Council at that time, in 2015, is that Ukraine will, uh, uh, will amend its constitution in order to give autonomy to that region, that region which is the separatist region of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, and then elections will be held there. And then uh, under this uh, situation of an autonomous Eastern Ukraine, uh, guaranteed by the uh, Ukrainian constitution, Ukrainian troops will then be able to proceed and occupy the entire country because they are now not occupying the Eastern Ukraine. Right? This is the process that the Minsk Accords uh, laid down. This is the process that France and Germany started trying to uh, implement. Now, this is not acceptable to Ukraine, many people in the Ukraine, because Ukraine thinks that this eventually ends up as uh, Eastern Ukraine as a protectorate of Russia. But there, is a good, there is a valid point in this assumption, except that this came right. about at, uh, as a result of the situation on the ground. Right. And, and, and therefore, today, now Russia says you implement Minsk Accord. The whole of the West says implement West Accord, but they're not really keen to push Ukraine into doing this, which Ukraine doesn't want to do. And the US, while France and Germany at various points of time have been trying to uh, get this process forward, their interest in getting peace in, in Ukraine is a little greater than that of the Americans, because the Americans want to keep up the pressure on Russia. So the Americans have been, over a period of time, applying pressure on Ukraine to resist the Minsk Accord quietly. So what is Putin's intention in Ukraine? What Putin would like to see, and that is, in fact, the first speech that you, Putin made in November uh, when about the security guarantees for Russia and so on, which is where he laid out what Russia expects out of the uh, uh, from the Europeans and NATO. The first point he made was implementation of the Minsk Accord. And that comes back to what is his intention? See, this link to that is the fact that he does not want Ukraine to join NATO. That is another important uh, interest of uh, Putin in Ukraine. Again, not achievable by going into Ukraine in military fashion. So military, the military is to draw attention to this. Now, why does uh, Russia not want Ukraine to join NATO? I think you just need to look at the map to see yeah. that. Sure, uh, sure. You know, I, just, 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 just yeah. to hold you there. I mean, I, I understand. We'll, we'll come to that in a second. But just to understand this part. So there is, there are two parts to what we just said. One is the Minsk Accord part. The other is the um, uh, possibility NATO. of uh, Ukraine joining um, NATO. Now, if indeed uh, negotiations were to progress and if uh, Ukraine and the West were to say that, all right, Ukraine will join the Minsk process and implement the, uh, uh, you know, the, the decision of the uh, accord, uh, will Putin be happy with that or would he also want uh, an assurance from the Americans and the West that NATO will not admit Ukraine as a member? See, uh, Putin is not so naive as to really expect that anybody will be in a position to give him a guarantee that either Ukraine or Georgia, by the way, Georgia is equally important to them, right. that either right. Ukraine or Georgia will not join NATO. He also is aware that anybody who gives that guarantee, it is not worth its, uh, the paper it is written on. So because, right. because nobody, nobody can give a guarantee for all time to come. What does Putin want? Putin wants to see 
and i don't think he thinks in terms of a forever time frame he is looking at a time frame in the immediate future because look in terms of his ambition he doesn't expect to be in power for also well okay people talk about 5 years 10 years whatever it is it's, it's a very foreseeable time frame he also wants russia to reach a position in that time frame where it can sort of hold its own in the world so what do you want you want as a security guarantee that during that period of time already nato see the nato's advance into rest of eastern europe is a done deal you cannot reverse it so at least try to make sure that in the foreseeable future ukraine and georgia do not join nato but you see it is also a larger picture again i want to come back to that because what is it that biden wants biden wants an accommodation with russia so that he can focus on other major and his withdrawal from afghanistan is also indication of that what is putin basically saying and and also biden in this process biden also wants to slightly disengage russia from china he doesn't right. want to take on russia and china together as a as a strategic uh, uh, adversary so but this might actually bring them together but wouldn't sorry? this bring them together this 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 standoff might actually bring russia no, and no, china no. together so see it is not only this standoff the entire russia west fallout for the last 7 years has driven russia into chinese arms okay. so the idea and of the the reach out was also partly to say and by the way biden says this explicitly in his june press conference is to see that he is saying that putin is being squeezed by china the subtext is that i want them to be a little less uh, mm-hmm. but so mm-hmm. what putin is saying here by all this uh, drama is that look if you want a modest vivendi with russia and if you want in the process for us to have a certain amount of disengagement from china to increase my own room for maneuver i want you to agree with me that there is a, a a kind of a modus vivendi on my periphery so so this ukraine and georgia becoming part of nato this entire battery of nato missile missile deployments aimed at russia forcing russia to respond uh, the uh, western what i'm telling it to you as putin sees it Uh, right. western the western uh, efforts to constrain russia's influence whether it is in west asia or in afghanistan uh, at that time or elsewhere in the caspian sea in the caucasus and so on so essentially the idea is that you let's have a modus vivendi but in such a way that i do not feel you snapping at my heels all along my periphery that's and right then, and then we do business so if you take the largest picture this is what is the intention i think of putin and if you take the largest picture this is what america america meaning i'm talking about the biden white house would like to see would you then say that um, um, ukraine joining the minsk uh, or implementing the minsk accord is probably a way out of or or, or is probably a way to diffuse the current standoff and situation it would certainly be a way to do so but it is not so easy as it looks because there are a lot of people who would oppose that so america also superpower it may be but it still has to look at european sensitivities in the manner in which it implements it as i said the the uh, it's not a break up of ukraine but it is a kind of federalization of ukraine that runs flies in the face of developments that have taken place over the last certainly over the last 7 years but in fact even before that because the idea of ukraine as part of an eastern partnership the idea of ukraine uh, eventually becoming a member certainly of the eu if not of nato mm-hmm. i mean this is something that has been moving forward in the west as part of a western uh, 
uh, game plan, if you like, in Europe. It has a lot of supporters in Europe. By the way, it doesn't have unanimous support in Europe. There is very certainly a divide in Europe as well. It's not very evident uh, on the surface. But there is, there, because there are other ambitions in Europe which are also running counter. There is, a, there is at the moment a struggle for political and economic primacy in Europe between uh, Western and Eastern Europe, or Central Europe, mm -hmm. you might call that. Mm -hmm. See, that's also playing itself out. So while you can say, certainly you can say that the implementation of the Minsk Accord in its entirety will diffuse this. No, in addition to that, by the way, the other aspect which you know, on which progress is being made, you know, a certain kind of a, uh, an agreement on mutual security arrangements about short-term missile, short and intermediate missile placements, uh, the, the uh, uh, consultation about military exercises, military uh, adjustment of force postures, military postures. CBM. These, these are doable. Of course, arms control agreements take a very long time, but progress towards them can be initiated. Sure. So Let's if you take this and if you take Minsk, you have a solution, but it's much. it sounds much simpler than it actually is. Let's go back to the earlier point that you made, Ambassador. It's a very interesting point about uh, the, um, the the coming together of China and Russia. I mean, you're saying that not just now, obviously, for the, for the last several years. Absolutely, yes. You had the um, Russian President Vladimir Putin visiting China. I mean, just this, just this Friday, uh, yeah. meeting Xi Jinping there, um, you know, amidst the crisis in, in Ukraine. Um, in fact, they voted against the procedural vote in the UN Security Council. Um, on to decide whether or not to discuss the Ukraine crisis at all. It appears that the crisis in Ukraine will actually bring China and Russia um, closer than ever. Um, so are we then are we then witnessing a global realignment of uh, powers as it were? And if so, where does that leave India in all of this? Yeah, you know, you say the crisis in Ukraine will bring Russia and China together. Uh, I Further. Think uh, further together. I think yeah. it is not yet true. You will have to see how the denouement of this crisis uh, unfolds to see what its impact will be on Russia-China relations. See, there is, a certain, there is firstly a very objective, uh, there are objective reasons for close Russia-China relations. Look at their border, look at their complementarities, look at uh, the, the energy-military mix in their relationship. All of that you cannot run away from. What you're trying to see is whether from a strategic perspective, you can create some daylight between uh, Russia and China. The whole, uh, whole effort of the Biden White House since June, I'm arguing, is an effort to do that. What I'm arguing also is that this is very welcome to Putin and Russia. Because for the last many years, Russia has been craving actually treatment as an equal partner by the West. And here it is being given this equal par partnership. It was offered this by Biden. And therefore, what they're trying to do is just trying to push it a little bit to see what most they can get out of this situation. As I said, to buy an accommodation with the West on equal uh, terms. And if mm -hmm. you can do that, it will actually move this process forward of creating some kind of a strategic independence between Russia and China. So, so this crisis, depending on how it is resolved, the problem is that it can be hijacked by a number of uh, people who do not wish this to happen. And by the way, actually, the one country which do not wish a Russia-China, sorry, US-Russia uh, modus vivendi is China. 
And you can see this actually over the years in the way Russia and China behave towards each other. And even in the body language of the leaders, you can see over the years. You see, whenever Russia is in, in a bad situation vis-a-vis -vis the US, you see the Chinese become a little bit more bossy. You can see it in the in international conferences. You can see in international meetings. You can see in the way Russia, China uh, deals with Russia on economic matters. And then when relations between US and Russia thaw a little bit, you see China uh, behaving slightly differently towards Russia. So, you know, there is China is very sensitive to the nature of US-Russia relations. And if in it is in China's best interest if US and Russia are as far apart as possible. So I would say that China has an interest in US and Russia not getting closer together. That's that's interesting. So in, in other words, uh, the, the let's say the strategic partnership between China and Russia going forward will depend a great deal on how this how this current standoff is resolved. That's what you are saying. Well, yes, I mean that is to put it actually in a very simple way because right. there right. are many things that will continue to happen. Understood, understood. It, but let's let's say no, there is a slight certain bit of a difference in in atmospherics which will take place, which can which can change the situation. Sure, but this supposing this ends in a manner in which Putin is able to save uh, face and he is now being accommodated as a great power in the international system by the by the United States and its allies in Europe. Would that then have implications for Sino-Russian relations going forward, be it in Eurasia, be it in Central Asia, uh, be it uh, be it elsewhere, uh, or is that is that is that stretching the argument? No, 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 no. It will certainly have an impact. It will not be so immediately and externally visible, but it will certainly have an impact in a number of ways. And by the way, you know, in the middle of all this strategic embrace, there are a number of differences that are also there beneath the surface between Russia and China, mm -hmm. which, which people don't generally notice. But even, even if you see in Central Asia, the manner in which China, see, there is a compact between Russia and China, an unwritten compact that Russia will handle the political security issues in Central Asia and China will handle the economic, economic. issues. Yeah. Increasingly, and this is something that after the US withdrawal from Afghanistan is becoming even more evident, China is sort of trying to muscle in on the... You see, you have a huge amount of economic clout. For you to That's not right. use it for political and military clout would be strange. So, you know, China cannot resist the temptation to, to follow up the political and military clout, economic clout with political and military clout. And that's what is happening in parts of Central Asia. And where, where not only now it's been going on, I'm only saying that Afghanistan has accentuated it. That is mm -hmm. also causing some friction. There are other, you know, there is also, you see writings in the Russian media, Russian think tank community, which we don't follow because of the language uh, reasons. But... I can tell you there is one very interesting, you know, there is this fellow called Fyodor Lukyanov, who is a well-known academic in uh, Russia, who, mm -hmm. who has some access to the Kremlin as well. He does Putin's uh, media interfaces. He coordinates, moderates them and so on. He, he, run, he runs a, uh, a, a journal called Russia and World Affairs, Russia and Global Affairs, I think it's called. You see some of the writings there, you know, Foreign Affairs, the US Foreign Affairs Journal, carried this uh, article about why U.S. should try to split Russia from China and mm. what U.S. policy to Russia should be in order to do that. The, uh, Lukyano published it in his Russia and Global Affairs. Not only published it, he trans got it translated into Russian. 
and and his editorial comment there was that finally people in america are seeing sense interesting so you know so what i'm saying is that there is there are elements in russia who understand that if russia is to become a global power world power it has to loosen itself somewhat from the uh, apron strings of china and you have to it has to find a way of doing this. so again as i said it is in vladimir putin's interest to to uh, accommodate to reach accommodation with the west rather than confrontation with the west he gains nothing and by the way a war in ukraine would actually make his popularity in russia uh, plummet actually not increase that's and oh, let's let, let just go, going back to the point that you just raised it's a very important point about it's actually not a very it's not really a fairy tale um sort of story between china and russia in central asia and in the years to come in the decades to come you may actually see friction developing between these two powers in the in the in the sort of central asian region that's i think that's a very very interesting argument where does india stand uh, in all of this vis-a-vis russia and china uh, i mean you've seen a lot of uh, um uptick in the relationship between india and russia of late you had the two plus two meeting you had putin visiting um you have non papers being exchanged and there's a lot of uh, talk about india and india and russia coordinating their efforts in say central asia and potentially even in even in even in even in afghanistan so china of course is watching all of this um so if i were to say that russia appears to be the linchpin of india central asia strategy today strategy today continental strategy today uh is that the smart thing to do for us um it to sort of checkmate and to sort of divide these two as it were potentially possible at all no it is certainly the smart thing to do for us in the sense that you see uh the eurasian zone the entire eurasian and by eurasia i mean not only central asia you can go further uh, west do, yeah. towards west asia and in fact right up to the caspian and caucasus this is the region we if we have global ambitions in india we need to be focusing on all those areas not just central asia central asia is immediate to our security but we also need to see who has influence there and we also need to join up with people in order to promote our influence there and clearly uh in the longer term and beneath the surface russia china rivalry will develop and india does not have any uh, reason for russia to be suspicious of us or for us to be suspicious of russia in the larger term except in the context of china and mm-hmm. therefore our effort always should be to see how we can uh, uh, sort of emphasize the convergence in interest with russia and also you know even if you look at russia china and if you come back to russia's greater ambitions russia does not want to be an appendage of china and therefore russia would like to develop relations with india independently because eventually whatever global scenario you see india is going to be important mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. lose from a russian perspective also you lose india you are cutting off some of your uh, uh, room for maneuver in yourself projecting uh, a great power uh, profile so so it isn't right so you have to make it also in a way i mean to put it crudely you have to make it worth russia's while to be with you in other words mm-hmm. we need to promote areas where we have mutual interests uh, if russia feels that you have completely gone off and you are not sensitive to its uh, to its uh, core interests then you are not able to build this relationship so we have it it's complex because it is not as simple as during the cold war you need right. to sort of right. 
keep playing your cards in a very astute manner but right. we do we do need when you look at eurasia caspian caucasus and after afghanistan you see the number of element that have come in there you see the way turkey has come in there yeah you see the way iran is expanding into that region and pakistan which has advantages yeah yeah and you know being with russia helps in all these provided you continue relations of trust there I, I must say, Raghavan, absolutely. I think, I think, I, I mean, there is no way I could disagree with you on that. The question, though, is how do we sort of do that? Because you have, on the one hand, a continental challenge for which you need the Russians. You have a maritime challenge for which you need the Americans, and you have the Quad and the Indo-Pacific. So, balancing these two sort of uh, major powers who are who are actually on the brink of bring up an armed confrontation. That's going to be diplomatically very challenging for India. How does India go about doing that? That is the essence. Number one, that is the essence of diplomacy. That is what you need to do because you're not in a world where you have binaries. There are now That's right. multiple uh, challenges. Secondly, I would argue that they are not on the verge of going to war. Unless something calamitous takes place, they're not on the verge of going to war. There's a lot of propaganda, but war does not suit anybody. So if objective considerations prevail on either side, look, let me put it this way. Putin has been dealt a hand today that he has not had before. It would be extraordinarily stupid for him to squander that hand. Let me put it that way. Because he has an opportunity now to correct in his, in his perspective, to correct the inequalities that exist in the Russia-West relationship, the security inequalities, the security uh, tensions, uh, imbalances, if you like. Now, essentially, you, and look at what the Americans are saying. The Americans are saying that, you know, we will meet Russia halfway, we will meet their uh, strategic security, we will, we will address their security challenges. So they're saying all this. So what I'm saying is, therefore, that they're not on the verge of going to war unless something untoward happens. And if they do not go to war, that is the best thing that happens for us. Because when you look at, again, this managing our continental and maritime challenges, the US-Russia-China equation is critical in this. It has, it, has, it has great impact on the way we deal with Russia, the way we deal with China, and the way we deal with uh, the US. Cast your mind back to the early 2000s. The early 2000s was a time when US-Russia hostility, I mean, there were frictions, but there were no hostilities. US-China, there were friction, but no hostilities. What did we do at that stage? We were able to develop relations, strategic partnerships with the US, with Russia, and in fact, a pretty good modest vivendi with China as well. Relatively independent, right. though they were interlinked. So, right. while, while no situation can be exactly duplicated, but that is the, but that's what I mean. A thaw in US-Russia uh, um, uh, and a friction between US-China actually suits us. And look, right. you know, if you actually have that situation, you can even get Russia have a buy-in on our Indo-Pacific objectives. Why? Because what is Putin talking about? A greater Eurasian partnership. What is a greater Eurasian partnership? A greater the Russians, have only, Russians have already become a dialogue partner in the, um, in the, in the maritime rim association. The, yeah, yeah. The, but, the all that, see, but all that is actually uh, cosmetic. But right, because, yeah. because you want you want to make see Russia's greater Eurasian partnership consists of the, it looks at Russia itself as a pole in this whole thing. But okay, that is their ambition. They, they will have that. But essentially, a cooperative enterprise between Eurasian countries and that Eurasian countries half of Eurasia is also maritime. So you cannot 
You cannot have a greater Eurasian right. partnership without having a maritime strategy. So the moment you start seeing the Quad and American initiatives in the Indo-Pacific, not as aimed as Russia and China, but basically aimed at containing China, if you like, Russia has no interest in keeping away from it. Here is a challenge. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Ambassador, but you know, my real worry is that there will be a time uh, when the Americans are going to get a little uncomfortable about the close the, the closeness that uh, uh, closeness between India and India and Russia. Clearly, I think at this point of time, the Americans do understand that India needs Russia in the region to offset the Chinese uh, presence in the Central Asian region and also to sort of uh, you know push back against the Chinese, uh, you know, by let's say buying weapons from uh, the Russians or you know various 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 measures. I think for so far, the Americans have not really said anything critical of this growing partnership, which has actually grown, in my opinion, since August last year. But will there be a time when the Americans come back and say, wait a minute, I mean, you guys are getting too close to the Russians for our comfort. Um, I mean, we can, of course, say that, you know, we, we, we do have strategic autonomy, we decide, but you know, there will be a time when India will have to pick, uh, pick sides or will there be, when will that time, time arrive in your, in your opinion? But in my view, the uh, situation where you need to pick sides should not happen. Uh, because today is, today is not a world where you pick any side. Anybody picks any side. And in fact, if you look at it, things are moving in a, in a, in a different direction. Uh, when you talk about even Macron and uh, even the new uh, German chancellor, talking about Europe getting for itself a strategic autonomy. Uh, and if you look at the fact mm. that the single greatest friend of America in the uh, uh, European Union, Poland, uh, their foreign minister makes a trip to China. You know, they, every country is trying, and every grouping is trying to uh, carve out for itself, even within an alliance system, alternative possibilities and opportunities. Now, there are a number of ways, as I said, you know, I said earlier that uh, you can add value to Russia in Central Asia. Actually, I think you can add value to the US from uh, in Central Asia as well. You are saying that the US is saying you're getting too close to Russia. The point is that if the US wants to withdraw from Central Asia, uh, our presence in Central Asia as a strategic partner of the US should also be of value to the US. So there are ways in which your strategic partnerships can also work in such a way as to not conflict with uh, interests and yet to protect your own interests. Tell me, this is what I mean. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I, particularly, I, I particularly liked what you said. You said that uh, this is not a world with binaries anymore. So is it in keeping with that logic that the Indian side has decided to sort of, uh, um, you know, support the Rus Russian position when it comes to Ukraine? I mean, 2014, you had the then NSA, Shivsangar Menon saying that there are legitimate Russian and other interests involved and they need to be discussed. And, um, you know, the other day, India abstained from the voting. It, from the outside, it looks as if we are, we are sort of taking the Russian position willy-nilly and there doesn't seem to be a support for the American or Western position as far as Ukraine is concerned. Uh, but I, but I, do, I do appreciate what you said about the world without binaries, but this seems to be 
quite no. close to the Russian position than anything else. No, no, I will, I will make a great distinction here. You see, 2014 was when, as you say, Crimea was annexed. So a country was torn away and attached to another country, which for us is a very difficult thing to stomach because of our own uh, stand on territorial uh, integrity, yeah. sovereignty, etc., etc. Which is why when you see what Shivshankar Menon said, it was not an official Indian statement. Officially, Manmohan Singh spoke to uh, Putin and said that, you know, we have concerns about territorial sovereignty, but we hope that everything will be settled. It was a far more, uh, it, yes, it was not opposing. There was no criticism of Russia, but he did make the point about territorial integrity. And Shivshankar Menon said this in his uh, off-the-cuff remarks, so-called yeah. off-the-cuff remarks to the media. Yeah. Very different situation. Today, you have a situation where no war has taken place. No territorial uh, uh, integrity has been threatened. Here, you are talking about a threat of war, which is hypothetical at the moment, because you have one side saying, we have no intention of war, and the other side saying that you, you intend to do war. So, our position here should be seen in that context. And what did we say? We said that we need peace and dialogue and we need the legitimate interests of all parties uh, to be taken into account. And here all parties include Russia, it includes Europe, it includes the US. So to a certain extent, I mean, you can't really compare this with that. Uh, you can say that okay. you, did not, I, I, side, I, 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 you did not side with the Americans to oppose Russia. That you can say. But that's all that you can say. You can't say you sided with Russia actually. Okay, let, let me put it this way. I mean, you, you are not in the government at this point of time, but you are, you are India's former ambassador to Russia. Uh, you've been the, the convener of the National Security Advisory Board. In your opinion, what translate what you just said for us. What is India's opinion or approach to the current crisis? No, I said this because what I said earlier is something that the Indian government would agree with, I'm sure. What do you want? You want a settlement here which uh, results in an accommodation between Russia and the US. And Does Russia have legitimate interest in, in, in Ukraine, in your opinion, in your personal opinion? No, no, it is not in Ukraine. You see, Russia has a legitimate interest in its security. Now, when you say legitimate, you see, every country has a national interest and national security interest. What is legit legitimate sort of uh, gives a kind of a moral... Uh, uh, overtone to it. Right. And I, I would argue that in, in, the, in, in big power st strategy, morality has no role. Sure. Morality is brought in as an ex post facto justification of actions. You, but, but you have you have what you feel are your legitimate national security interests. So as I said, Russia's national security interest, which it considers legitimate, is that Ukraine should not become, you see, if you look into history, Ukraine has been the route for invasions into Russia starting from the 16th century. The mm -hmm. Poles occupied Moscow through Ukraine. The uh, Swedes went in through Ukraine. Napoleon went in through Ukraine. Hitler went in through Ukraine. So, so you know, geography, there is a tyranny of geography there. So, so one of Russia's national security interests is that Ukraine should be uh, secured as far as Russia is concerned. In which way it is done? Now, if the Minsk agreement is uh, is implemented, I think that takes care of Russia's security interests. And and by the way, very simple fact, and there's something that even the Americans have talked about, as long as Russia is in occupation of Crimea, 
as long as Russia is in occupation of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, the two separatist republics of Georgia, neither of them can join NATO because NATO will not admit a country of part mm. of which is occupied by another power. Mm. Because then under Article 5, it will be forced to fight against that other power. That's what Article 5 is about. That's right. Or it has to recognize that those parts don't belong to that country. And that is a great victory for Russia. If it, if it now formally admits that Crimea is not part of Russia and South Ossetia and Abkhazia are not part of Georgia. So, so actually, Russian occupation of these places ensures that they will not. So what Russia wants is a face-saving political uh, affirmation of some kind. As I said, there are no cast iron guarantees that can be given. I think you seem to be quite positive that we are unlikely to see um, this breaking out into a war. I think unless, I think unless that... hotheads take control of the situation. You see, everywhere there is the possibility right. of, of provocators and hotheads provoking problems, right. and there are enough number of people wanting problems to occur. So that is an important factor, and each country has its own political, domestic politics to consider. I really need to keep that in mind. Right. Understood. I, I, I think the takeaway for me today is uh, the argument that you just made that this is not a world <laughs> with binaries. I think I think it is important that we as, as, as a country, while deciding our own strategic interests, keep that in mind. Brilliant, brilliant insights. Thank you so much for joining the conversation about Sagar. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happy Mon Jacob.